Welcome to the Pasho Perspective, a place where I share my perspective on everything in the space between life and death. I'm your host, Pasho. Well, my Pachos Chachos, today's episode is inspired by Act 3 of the play A Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hansberry. My freshmen have been, for the last three weeks, reading this wonderful play, studying vocabulary, working on dialogue, mood, setting, conflict, theme, and things like that. And so today we dedicated to the last act, which is only one scene. It's about 20 pages in our book, and it's not very long. But during one of the monologues by a character named Walter Lee Younger, it inspired an idea for this episode. And so I'm going to title it, as you already know, The Takers and the Tooken. So first, let me set up the scene. Uh, Walter and his family had received $10,000 from a life insurance check because his father dies. And they've been poor all their life. And so this is the first time where they finally have some breathing room. Uh, however, all the characters have their own dreams. His sister, Benita, wants to become a doctor. Mama would like to own a home as uh, she and Big Walter, the father who passed on, uh, had dreamed of getting. Uh, Walter's wife, Ruth, uh, is also you know in love with the idea of having more space, having a home, more sunlight, less cockroaches. Uh, and so... Uh, he loses the money. Unfortunately, he gets duped by somebody. Spoiler alerts here. Uh, it's an old story, however, so if you haven't seen it or heard of it, um, you really should check it out. You really should read it. It's amazing. Watch the black and white 1950s movie with Sidney Poitier. God rest his soul. He does an amazing job. We're actually going to start uh, analyzing the film tomorrow. But he's um, he's talking to his mother, and... Meanwhile, you know, prior to this scene, a guy named Mr. Lindner has shown up and, you know, the mother has already put a down payment onto the house, thus realizing her dream and Ruth's dream. Um, but he represents the people of that area and, you know, it takes place around the 1950s, the civil rights movement and racism was rampant and so the people of Clybourne Park uh, hired Mr. Lindner to represent them and to offer a deal to the youngers uh, and the deal was we'll give you more money than you put a down payment for and we'll make it worth your while if you don't move in with us because you know he says somewhere in the in the story you know we we feel that people are more comfortable around their own kind kind of thing which is absolute garbage statistics prove that as well we're better together that's why our country is so amazing that's why our military is one of the best but anyways i don't want to get sidetracked here so so walter's talking to his mother uh after he's gotten duped by his friend he was trying to go and invest into a liquor store where he needed to front ten thousand dollars uh, so that way all three of them would have $30,000 and they'd be able to, uh, you know, get a business going. Uh, and they wanted to open a liquor store. And so this guy, Willie Harris, steals the money. It was always a dupe. 
They were marks. He totally took advantage of them and their obsession and desperation for money. And then he disappeared. And so, you know, Walter, at the opening of this of the act, he's lying on his back, just kind of contemplating and thinking about things, you know, realizing that he, he kind of has hurt his sister's chances of becoming a doctor by losing the money because some of it was supposed to be set aside. But, you know, he was planning on it working out and the profits would, you know, be able to fill that coffer and then some if it was necessary. But that is not here nor there. And so... He, in a in a really desperate decision, calls Mr. Lindner to come back. Because the first time Mr. Lindner made the offer, at the beginning of Act 2, everything was going great. Mama had given Walter the kind of the keys to the car to drive for the family, if you know what I mean. You know, he got to wear the pants. He gets to be the patriarch. He gets to make the decisions. She hands over whatever money, you know, other than the deposit for the house to him. And so because they were feeling so good, you know, him and his wife were getting their groove back. His relationship with his sister was much more friendly than antagonistic. Uh, He wasn't obsessed with money anymore. He kind of had his priorities going right. And so when Mr. Linder came the first time, they rejected the offer. They were too proud. They had too much integrity, too much dignity to accept such an offer that pretty much symbolized that they were accepting money, admitting that they are not good enough to live amongst that community. And so they did what they should have done. They told him, please leave. (laughs) We do not accept your offer. But now, because of the desperation, you know, because of his regret and his guilt, you know, for hurting his family like he did with his own, you know, selfish dream of wanting to open up this liquor store, he does a desperate act and he calls Mr. Linder over, right? And he's going to accept the money to not move in. Because he figures, you know what, some money is better than nothing, right? We don't have anything. We might as well have something. And, of course, the family is absolutely disgusted by that decision to to trade your dignity, to trade your integrity, to trade your pride, to embarrass and humiliate your ancestry and family tree so that you can accept dirty money saying that you're not worthy to live amongst a people because of your skin color. Like, even they, you know, they all got that. And so they were disgusted by his decision that he would do that because, you know, money back in the days wasn't such a priority. Family was the priority. Pride, dignity was the priority. You didn't have to have a rich life, but you could live a good life and be proud of that good life. You know, I mean, how things have changed and we can go back, but we got to teach them right. And so that's kind of why I'm teaching the stories. But anyway, to the point, he is talking now to his mother because he says that he invited him over and his mom, his wife, his sister are asking, what is your plan? Like they kind of know what he's about to do, but they don't want to admit that he would actually do something like that, right? And so I'm going to read you a little bit of the the scene. So mama asks him, what you talking about, son? And Walter says, talking about life, mama. You always telling me to see life like it is. Well, I laid in there on my back today and I figured it out. Life just like it is. Who gets and who don't get? Mama, you know it's all divided up. Life is, sure enough, between the takers and the tooken. I figured it out finally. Yeah, some of us always getting tooken. People like Willie Harris, they don't ever get tooken. And you know why the rest of us do? 
Cause we all mixed up, mixed up bad. We get to looking round for the right and the wrong and we worry about it and cry about it and stay up nights trying to figure out about the wrong and the right of things all the time. And all the time, man, them takers is out there operating, just taking and taking. And today I came up with this connection with what's going on today. You know, and I know I'm going to upset some people, and I do apologize, but remember, it is my perspective, and you are allowed to disagree, and you know what? I'm not going to hate you for it, because it is America, and that's fine. You know, let's have that conversation, write something in my comments, and, you know, let's go from there, but this is what I think. This is how I took it, at least. This is how I read it today. So the takers are the Democrats. The tookin are the Republicans. Because... When you look at the policies, Democrats, like the takers, don't concern themselves with what is right and what is wrong. That's why Democrats embrace atheism and hate Christianity. Because if there is a God, then there is a judge. And if there is a judge, there is a right and a wrong. And they don't like that. They don't live within our moral code. There is no right or wrong. The end justifies the mean. Nobody who voted for Joe Biden really cares if the election was stolen or if it was rigged or, you know, regardless of all the states that unconstitutionally changed their voting policies to fit COVID-19 in just so conveniently at the end during an election year. But they don't care. Even if they did do it, they would still vote for Joe Biden because it wasn't Trump. The ends justify the means. Where Republicans, like the Tookin, like Walter says here, they're all mixed up real bad, always warring about, always crying about, always staying up at night trying to figure out the right and the wrong. We want to do something, but we don't want to force it down people's throats who don't agree with us. And so we want to compromise. And it's that ideology that prevents the Republican Party from ever actually getting anything done. They are too concerned with what the other side thinks, where Democrats don't care what Republicans want. You know, since Obama and Biden included, everything is executive order. If they actually cared about the people, they would go through the constitutional process of legislation and then approval by the executive branch, but they don't. They totally bypass the Congress, so there is no balance of power, and the president is making all of the decisions all on his own like a dictator. Mandates were dictates. Let's call it what it is. And Republicans are too gushy, too mushy. They don't fight. They don't shove things down people's throats. They don't get what they want regardless of how they have to do it because we're moral. Because we do believe in God. Because we know there is a right and wrong. A heaven and hell. And we don't want to be judged that way. Negatively. Selfishly. Like some narcissist psychopath. We consider other people's ideas because we know that's the right thing to do. 
We're not going to just go zero abortions for anybody because we consider the other side. We consider their arguments. We know that if we're going to do any change, it has to be incremental. Were the Democrats, man, you think they care? They went from zero to 60 with transgenderism. They went zero to 60 with LGBTQ. They went zero to 60 with all of this madness that's going on right now with pedophilia, with perversions, with TikTok. I mean, who are the people who are bypassing morality to get what they want done? Certainly not conservatives. It's not Christians. And like Walter Lee says, we are the tookin'. It's our fault because we don't have the moral code to just do what we want in the name of what we want. We, we weigh things. We decide whether that's right or wrong. So here are some examples of modern day that, talking about abortion, the people who abort their child obviously don't care whether that's right or wrong. If they had to discuss and analyze whether it's right or wrong, they wouldn't do it. The end justifies the mean. I can still be a sorority sister. I can still hang out and drink. I can still get high. I can still look for the boyfriend that I want. I can still be the slave to corporation in America. They don't care that it's wrong to murder your own flesh and blood. The end justifies the mean. Talking about transgenderism. That guy, because he's a dude, standing on the number one podium by himself because all the girls in that bike tour didn't want to stand on the podium because they know that it's disgusting. He could care less that he was by himself. He's still beaming. He's still smiling. He still won the trophy, which he's going to put on his trophy shelf and be proud of every single time he sees it. He doesn't care that the mode is wrong, that it's unfair for a man to compete against a woman in specifically a woman's league, the end justifies the means. The election was the same way. They could care less if it was rigged. They could care less if it was stolen. They just didn't want Trump. So that's the difference between the takers and the tookin. And so what are we going to walk away with here? Are we going to continue to do the same thing like Republicans, like soft tapioca, Begging the other side, please let us have this. Or are we going to start fighting for what we want? Are we going to remember what conservatism is? We are conserving our culture, conserving our tradition, conserving the artifacts that our ancestors have passed down to us that have brought us here to this point, that has kept us alive that will keep us alive if we conserve those lessons and pass them on to our children. I hope that's what we're going to do. I hope that's what you're going to do today. We can't let them win. There's one more quote that I also want to share talking about all of this. It comes from one of the characters from Nigeria. His name is Joseph Asagai. And he's talking to Walter's sister. He has a crush on her. and you know, There's a romantic relationship there. And she asks him something about the future, because he's going through this, like, really beautiful political monologue as well. And, you know, Nigeria, uh, when this was written, hadn't received its independence yet, was still fighting for it. 
And, you know, Benita said, you know, she's in a really bad mood because, you know, they lost the money. So she, you know, she's catastrophizing everything with her cognitive distortions, predicting nothing but negatives in the future. And and so she says very sarcastically, you know, yeah, so you get independence and then what? And he very astutely says, we'll worry about that when we get that first. First, we need to be independent. Then we can worry about the corruption of our, the newly formed government and everything like that, too. But first, we have to win our country. And I think that applies to us also. We have to win our country back. We have to have a presidential nominee for the Republican Party that can win. Now, I love Donald Trump. I voted for Donald Trump. Twice. But I'm afraid the way the liberal media destroyed him and his image. I mean, people hated him. People had no opinions, learned to hate him because they were gaslit into believing that he was so-called Hitler without a mustache. If we can't win the presidency, none of this matters. Because we're not going to win any of those issues that I just talked about. We have to win. We have to vote for somebody who can win and who will win. Despite all the machinations of the Democratic Party, which they own all the institutions, education, media, corporation, we have to pick a winner. So when you vote, let's make sure that we're taking into account not our emotions, but the fact that it's more important that we win than that our guy won. Because without a Republican president in the office, nothing matters. It's just conjecture. So that's our homework. Our homework is to spread the news. Hopefully you'll share this podcast change people's minds, change people's hearts, bring them back to my father, become a fisherman of men. And let's win this country because we can. Well, my Pachos Chachos, thank you so much for listening to me. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please like it and share, leave a review, leave a comment. As always, God bless. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.